CBS Sunday, after The Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and Eric, we normally like to yuck it up at the start of the podcast, regale each other, if indeed nobody else, with quips or make bad jokes. But uh, hey, let's change tack a little bit this week. Uh, Let's just give it up to one of our friends and colleagues, uh, the one and only Larry Merchant turned 90 years old this week. 90. Uh, That is incredibly impressive. If I am half as sharp and eloquent at 90 as Larry is, I will be delighted and impressed. Honestly, if I were half as sharp and eloquent (laughs) now, I'd be delighted and impressed. Happy birthday, Larry. Yeah, Yeah, if you were half as sharp and eloquent now, I'd be co-hosting a much better podcast. (laughs) Sorry, too easy. Couldn't couldn't resist. Set me up. Uh, But uh, yeah, Larry is a a marvel. He he not only made it to 90, which is a feat in and of itself, uh, and still has all his marbles, another impressive credential, but... He even knows how to send and receive text messages, which is a very rare thing for 90-year-olds, I think. <laughs> um, and I know this because I traded some texts with Larry on his birthday. I can't claim to be close with Larry. I, I didn't text him on his 89th birthday, uh, you know. But hey, this is 90. I thought I'd drop him a line. So uh, let me just read these because Larry is awesome and, uh, and, and they're worth sharing. So uh, I texted him. Hi, Larry. It's Eric Raskin. Just wanted to wish you a happy 90th birthday, albeit in one of the most impersonal manners possible text message. Hope you're doing well and staying safe. And with any luck, I'll see you at another fight in Vegas or California before long. He writes back. Thanks, Eric. Turning 90 does have its benefits. We are also celebrating our second vaccine shots. I look at the pandemic as approaching the championship rounds. Keep punching, but keep your guard up. Stay safe, Larry. Uh, So that very good to hear that he uh, has, nice. has gotten his vaccine shots and by we I assume he means his wife as well mm-hmm. um, and so then I wrote back ah great to hear you've gotten the vaccine my mom and my in-laws all in their mid-70s have gotten their first doses hopefully they'll be hugging their grandkids soon anyway happy 90th and hopefully many more still to come and he wrote back thanks I'll take any more to come yeah. <laughs> that's a very larry line it really I is i'm saying something like yeah yeah yep. classic larry so yeah happy 90th to a living legend if he was 50 years younger he could definitely kick my ass uh, but but he wouldn't be able to get the vaccine yet if he was 50 years younger right. exactly exactly <laughs> all right we have uh, a packed episode uh this week uh stephen bradman edwards joins us, uh, which is always a delight. Uh, We are going to preview the upcoming Showbox and Showtime Championship boxing cards, uh, the latter of which is headlined by Adrian Bronner returning to action after a two-year hiatus to take on Giovanni Santiago. Uh, We'll also look ahead to the other big fight taking place this upcoming weekend. That's Miguel Berchelt taking on Oscar Valdez and what promises to be a slobber knocker of a 130-pound battle. Uh, But first... Let's look back at an action-filled Saturday night. Yeah, and we begin in London with a major upset as unheralded Mauricio Lara 
dominated, dropped, and stopped previously unbeaten featherweight Josh Warrington, finishing it with a succession of blows in the ninth round that left Warrington flat on his back. We're not even finished with February, but given that Warrington was about a 20 to 1 favorite at Sportsbooks, this is not going to be easy to top for upset of the year. <laughs> uh, Kieran, what happened to Warrington, or or was Lara better than advertised? Man, I, wow, that was that was something. Look, I, there may have been an element of the ladder, right? But even so, you would think Warrington should still have had enough on a normal night to take care of him when you look at the quality of opposition that he's turned back over the years. You know, he did get clipped early. Uh, not a huge blow, but enough that it was notable that, that his legs kind of stiffened just a wee bit. You know, and sometimes that's enough, right? You get clipped once and you're not quite right in the immediate aftermath of that. And before you can get right again, you get clipped again. And then when you're trying to recover from that, you get clipped again and it just builds up and builds up. And, you know, maybe there was an element of that there. Um, Tyson Fury argued on Twitter that this was a clear illustration of be- of what being on the shelf because of COVID or for other reasons can do to a fighter. Uh, maybe there's some truth to it there, right? Yeah. Lara fought four times in 2020. Um, he fought, he's fought five times since Warrington's last outing. And that last outing of Warrington was just a two-round KO. Warrington's last real fight was a 12-round win over Kid Galahad back in June 2019. And so maybe when you're out of the game that long... The last thing you need is an opponent like Lara, who's a little bit crude, but who comes right at you and has a good punch and he's going to be right on you. Maybe Warrington, because this wasn't his original opponent, maybe he wasn't taking him super seriously. I don't know. I don't know the guy. I don't know if that's some kind of thing he would do. Maybe he had a bit of an issue making weight, given you know how rapidly his legs started to weaken under him. Was his first time fighting without a crowd? Maybe that was something. Mm-hmm. Or it was a perfect storm, perhaps. All of those things. Right. Lara being better. Warrington not on his game. Warrington just not having fought for a while. Lara having the fight of his knife. But it was it was very shocking to watch unfold. And it wasn't as if it was just an interesting fight that ended with a shocking knockout. It was just watching it unfold as he progressively got beaten down more and more. Uh, I'm amazed that he survived five rounds after that fourth round and he perhaps shouldn't have done, (laughs) Um, you know, and because of that, even though he's been out of the ring a while, he should probably hesitate before rushing back in because he took an awful lot of damage there Mm -hmm. at the end. And, uh, that can have a kind of long-term effects. He probably needs to give himself a bit of time to recover from that, even though I'm sure he's already tempted to want to get right back in and prove that it was some kind of uh, anomaly. Yeah. The the only thing that I want to weigh in on here is what you just touched on about him. Maybe he shouldn't have made it out of the fourth round. Uh, if the roles had been reversed, if it was yeah. Lara going down in the fourth round and getting up on those legs that Warrington was on, yeah. we don't hear the bell to end the fourth. That fight gets stopped 10 times out of 10. It was only allowed to go on because Warrington was the undefeated British guy. You know, uh, yeah. that's boxing. That's the way it works if you're undefeated and you might be a moneymaker and and you were the big favorite going in, you get a longer rope. Uh, but you know, it, it probably did Warrington no favors in the long run. In fact, no, because of the fact that we know that he did not come back to win, we can right. definitely say it, it did him no favors, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, a few hours after that card, which in the United States was shown on DAZN in the afternoon, 
Another DAZN card saw Brian Castaño dominate Patrick Deschera to win a junior middleweight strap and seemingly set himself up for a meeting with Jermel Charlo. We'll talk about that fight with Breadman shortly. Uh, but I want to get your take on the main event, Kieran. We saw a pudgier-than-usual Jojo mm. Diaz, uh, who weighed in at 133.6 pounds for a 130-pound title defense and therefore lost his title on the scales. We saw him fight to a majority draw with Freddie Roach-trained Shavkatson Rakimov. How'd I do with the... Uh, not the... bad, not bad. Okay. Yeah, right. I was hoping to get my revenge this week, <laughs> but you cleared the bar. <laughs> All right. Patting myself on the back. But the, the story here is not my pronunciation of anything. It's the fight and the fact that it ended in a draw. Kieran, fair result. And what do you make of Diaz blowing weight so spectacularly? Yeah, definitely a fair result, I think. Um, I must confess I wasn't scoring it super closely, but it felt like an even fight. It had interesting ebbs and flows. I thought Diaz sort of landed the sharper, harder blows early on, and I thought Rachimov was winning the bulk of the rounds between three and about nine, but then I thought Diaz closed the show well. Um, and But there were an awful, even in those different segments, there were a lot of close rounds in that fight. I'm very glad I wasn't one of the ringside judges for that fight. Mm. Um I found it quite an enjoyable fight, even if it was perhaps a purist's fight, um, in the sense that maybe a more casual observer might not have fully appreciated the nuances, the way each guy was in turn slipping and countering and then leading and blocking. Uh, I thought it was a very high, high caliber, intelligently fought fight. Um, it was interesting, you know, if you didn't know either of them, you were looking at them during the ring entrances. You think, wow, Rahimov, he's the guy, he's the stone cold killer. He's the guy who's going to come out and try to take uh, the, the cute looking guy's head off. But <laughs> but uh, but Rahimov was the guy who I thought with the better footwork and the better in and out combinations. Um, Diaz, who, like you said, looked looked huge in the ring, I thought, mm-hmm. uh, was the guy landing the harder single punches. Um, I'm not sure where this result leaves either guy. In a way, it was a good result for both men. You know, Rahimov went even up against an experienced champion who blew past the weight. Um, Diaz, after presumably less than ideal preparation, dealt with a challenge of a touted unbeaten challenger. So, you know, maybe they're both more or less where they were. Um, you know, I, the thing is with Diaz, though, I don't know what happened there. Uh, to miss weight so badly in only your second fight after moving up, mm-hmm. that kind of suggests that maybe the body's uh, rebelling a little bit. And because he's what now, Diaz, 28, 29, maybe he's at that age now where the body's saying, you know what? I've had enough with you making me come in at <laughs> yeah. 126. I don't want you to come in at 130 anymore either. Um, it might just be that, uh, as simple as that. Uh, you know, he joked or quasi joked about the fact that, you know, his wife was pregnant and, and he was helping her with the midnight snacks. Uh, <laughs> you add, you know, fighters are humans. You add right. that element in it. There's the COVID layoff. And we talked about this for a year almost now yeah. about, about how this is going to affect fighters uh, and their preparations. I will say for a guy who appears to be at loggerheads with his promoters and wanting more kind of respect and being pushed more, missing weight for a big fight like this doesn't really help his cause. Um, my guess would be that he's just done at 126 and 130, and we're going to see him at 135 henceforth, but I'm not entirely sure. We'll have to see. Yeah, uh, that would that would be my guess as well, is that he just can't make that weight anymore, even though he only recently moved up. Uh, but I'll just also note that the uh, the draw cost me some money. I had a sweet Castaño-Rakimov parlay. Uh, the Castaño part was easy. Uh, but a draw is the same as a loss for for this bet. Uh, but even so, it was the right result from the judges. I had it 114-114 myself. I can't really complain. No, 
Indeed. Uh, meanwhile, ESPN's Saturday night card from the bubble at the MGM Grand uh, lost a little bit of its luster just a couple of days uh, in advance when the scheduled main event between light heavyweights Joe Smith Jr. and Maxim Vlasov had to be postponed after Vlasov tested positive for COVID. Uh, but it went ahead with a lightweight clash between Richard Comey, whom we'd last seen being splattered by Teofimo Lopez, and Jackson Marinas, whom we last saw being absolutely hosed by the judges against Raleigh Romero in the main event. And it was Comey who averged victorious, scoring two knockdowns and a stoppage in the sixth round of what had until then been a, a reasonably close contest. Uh, Eric, how impressed were you with Comey? What would you like to see next for him? So before I answer those questions, a very quick note on Joe Smith. Uh, he scheduled his wedding for a month from now to steer clear of fighting and training oh, camp. Dear. And now this screws everything up. And I heard Chris Mannix and Sergio Mora speculating about him changing the wedding date. I don't mean to overgeneralize and paint all women with the same brush, but I question Mannix and Mora's knowledge of women and weddings and how all this works. Uh, that date's not moving, I don't think. Anyway, uh, excellent win for Comey. A nice reminder that there are levels to all of this. Uh, yeah. Comey got wiped out by Teofimo Lopez. Mourinhoz got robbed against Romero. Maybe we thought these two were evenly matched in the middle. Nope. This was yeah. uh, pretty much all Comey. I think he is clearly the best right now of the lightweights below the five guys we always talk about. Mm -hmm. I would love to see him in with either Ryan Garcia or Devin Haney next. Uh, he's he's the ultimate measuring stick slash test that you might not pass. Uh, if if those guys aren't able to secure one of the fight, huge fights we've been hoping for, if they aren't going to fight each other, guys like that, I think Comey's the, the best test out there for, for those guys. Because you also wonder if he's put himself in that horrible spot where he's just a bit too good for his own goods. Maybe. May, yeah. May, maybe he should have looked 10% less spectacular <laughs> in getting this win. But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, so, look, that win was impressive and the knockout was very good. But it wasn't. Certainly not wasn't the most viral knockout of that ESPN card. That came when Jared Anderson polaxed Kingsley eBay in the sixth round of a heavyweight contest. Eric, we already mentioned that Lara Warrington is front runner for upset of the year, but is this leader for KO of the year? And Addison's only 21 years old, but he's eight and zero with eight KOs. Is he a real heavyweight prospect, or do we need to cool our jets and wait a little while? The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Maybe wait a bit. Um, I'm trying to learn my lesson from Daniel Dubois. You know, yeah. uh, assume nothing. Don't get overly excited just because a guy is young and looks the part. But 
how can you not be impressed to this point? Uh, he's already my favorite big baby in boxing uh, <laughs> by a lot. Um, and uh, clearly he has a lot of tools and you just don't see promising American heavyweights hit the scene at age 20, 21 too often Fine. these days. So I, I get the excitement. Um, that said, hot take coming. Uh, this knockout is totally overrated. It looked good in real time. You got eBay falling hard and uh, appropriate broadcaster screaming and whooping. So it makes a good Twitter or Instagram clip. But on the slow-mo, it was kind of an open palm slap. You know, aesthetically, eh, I'm, I'm not wowed. Now, maybe Anderson just hits that hard that he can catch you with the inside on the fingers and turn your lights out. But it's not a knockout that holds up as worthy of going viral under intense scrutiny. Uh, viral Twitter is rigged, Kieran. Uh, that's what that's what I say. But yeah, th- this is not going to be the KO of the year, I don't think. At least I, I hope it isn't. Well, there you go. Hot take. All right. But see, that's the thing. Heavyweights, man. Bam. And it always, always looks better when a 230-pound guy hits the canvas. Exactly. This was the, the way he fell was knockout of the year. Like the punch right. itself, slow-mo replay, eh, not so much. The thing I like about Anderson from watching him is it's not just that he, you know, he hits hard or whatever. He moves awfully well for a for a yep. for a big guy, for a especially for a young big guy. I was a bit shocked to find he's 21. That's that's the big factor there. I think it's going to be quite interesting to see what happens. Yeah, and that. and and in the knockout sequence that that went viral, the slipping and blocking of punches mm-hmm. in the exchange as he was setting up his finish. That actually stood out to me more than the punch itself. Yeah. 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 All right. Look, coming up shortly, uh, Eric and I will look ahead to the week's upcoming Showtime boxing cards and make our picks. But before we do that, let's bring in this week's guest. He's one of our favorites and one of the most frequent visitors here on Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, Stephen Breadman Edwards. Brad, welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. So uh, let's talk, first of all, about some of the fights we all just watched on Saturday. And I want to begin with the 154-pound title fight between Brian Castaño and Patrick Teixeira. Obviously, that's a division to which you've paid particular attention because of your years training J-Rock Williams. So what did you make of Castaño's dominant display? Is this a fighter who can give Jermel Charlo some real trouble? Um, Castano is a guy I've been looking at for a while. Uh, actually, he was on the name of a list of opponents uh, for Julian um, uh, last year uh, for one for his first title defense, actually. Hmm. So he was a fighter I've been looking at for a while. Um, he's good. He's really good. Uh, I do think he will be competitive with Charlo. I, don't, I, I think Charlo will probably knock him out late because Castano has to, um, you know, because of his small stature, he has to be mm. so busy, and um, you know, uh, it kind of like puts you in harm's way. And Charlo is a big puncher, and he's kind of has this like little clutch gene going where he doesn't. Charlo's not really an active fighter, like throw a lot of punches. He's not. He doesn't have a high work rate, but you know, he's uh, efficient. He lands the punches that he ne- needs to land. So I think that um, Castano would probably give him you know, an opportunity to clip him at some point. But um, that's a tough fight for Charlo because um, if Castano, Castano's hard to outpoint. Right. Because he's so busy. He's very fluid. He has a two-fisted attack. You know, his right hand's really good. You know, he doubles and triples up on. He switches from southpaw to orthodox. He's very smooth. Um, His feet are fast. 
you know, he, he's a very skilled guy, you know, um, he uses his small stature to his advantage. Um, he has a much better amateur pedigree than Jamel does. He has wins over, uh, Paul Spence and Derenchenko. I watched him fight, uh, Derenchenko. Um, he can fight, you know, mm. and, um, I think he beat Derenchenko in the world series of boxing. I remember I was actually studying him. I thought we were going to fight him at one time. Right. So, um, you know, that would be, I, I would pick Jamel to win. You know, Jamel seems to be hot right now, but you got to be careful with just depending on, you know, landing the big shots. Because right. if you look at Jamel's fights closely, if he doesn't land a big shot, he's not really dominant in, in like rounds one. Like as far as like how many rounds he wins in the fight, mm. he's more dominant in, in the outcome of the fight. But if he doesn't hurt Castano, he could probably get outpointed because Jamel just doesn't throw a lot of punches. And Castano's really fluid. He has the kind of style where the judges will be watching him. That will be an interesting fight. You know, like I said, if, if he can't hurt Castano, which I think that he can, but if he can't, Castano will probably beat him on a decision. Interesting. He's, uh, he's really good at scoring points. So uh, mm. I know every, you know, Jamel's a bigger name. You know, he has a more charismatic personality. And he scores some really nice knockouts lately. But that's, uh, um, he, he, he got to hurt that kid. I'm telling you, if you don't hurt him, he's he's going he's going to get outpointed. But I do think that Castano is just so busy. At some point, he'll run into something, and Jamel will clip him. Right, but I I, I feel a a breadman wager perhaps coming on if the if that fight gets made and they open the odds on Castano as a big enough underdog. I, I feel like I'm I'm smell well, I'm smelling you know, interest from you if if the if the your, price is your right. loyalty <laughs> is in your money, you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I would probably take Jamel by KO or Castano by decision, but it depends on what the odds are. Right. But, I, you know, like, I just know how the public is, and everybody would assume Charlo would dominate him. But that kid, that kid can fight. Yeah. You know, um, he, he can fight. He's He he, he broke the height of uh, Texterra easily. You know, when the pressure guy that's coming forward starts getting to you that early, it usually takes some time to warm up. You know, because the boxer has the advantage because the fight's more at long range early. He was getting to Texterra from round one. Yeah. You know, Castano's a fast starter. He's good. He's really fluky. And he beat Michelle Soro, and Michelle Soro can fight. Mm-hmm. You know, he's underrated, you know, because he's not from over here. But you ask anybody on the uh, California sparring scene up in Big Bear and the matchmakers, they know Michelle Castoro's a good fighter. And Castano mm-hmm. beat him. And, and uh, Soro's a real guy. You know, he, he's a real guy. He uh, probably uh, messed up the career of Glenn Tapia. Uh, mm. Like I said, you know, but unification fights like that is going to be tough, you know. Mm. All four belts are on the line. Both guys deserve it. You know, it's going to be a tough fight. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, over on ESPN, also on Saturday night, Richard Comey bounced back from being wiped out by Teofomo Lopez in 2019 to knock out Jackson Marinez in the sixth round. And, and Lopez was, was ringside, of course, and... You know, it does the fact that, you know, Comey comes back after two years out, scores a pretty good win, a very good win, actually, against a pretty good opponent. We know how good Lopez is, but does this kind of performance even emphasize just how good Lopez was when you think the way he just wiped Comey out in a couple rounds? Lopez is really good, man. <laughs> you know, I just hope that the politics of boxing don't screw up these guys' proms. You know, um, I've seen that with other fighters. They get one big win, and they try to rest on the laurels of that mm. win and ride off on it. And it's just hopefully 
you know, that Lopez, you know, he doesn't go too many fights without taking a big fight. Like uh, in this era where you're fighting twice a year, if you wait, you know, if you take two or three showcase fights in a row, that's like two years worth of fights. Yeah, right. Because the six, the twice a year really is like six to nine months. It gets spread it out. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of time that you'll go in between fights. I think that uh, um, that the public got a little bit frustrated. Well, you know, one of my favorite people in boxing, Danny Garcia, mm-hmm. when he took the Amir Khan fight and then he took the Lucas Matisse fight. And then after that, it was like a long period in between fights. And he was like, I believe like 26, 27 at the time. And he's maybe 25. I'm not exactly sure. But they got like frustrated with him because he had took so long to take, you know, you kind of like spoil the public. And I'm not saying you should fight a killer every time out. But you have to be careful with going so long in between fights. Like when Tia Lopez fought a good fight against Lomachenko. I hope the next time that he takes a fight like that, it's not like 2023, 2024. Right. It'll be too long right. in between fights. Right. You know, I think um, the model that these kids should look at is, uh, you know, maybe uh, um, Oscar De La Hoya or Ray Leonard. Mm-hmm. And if you look at their prime years, you know, on box right, they didn't go that long without taking those chances. Mm-hmm. You know, Ray Leonard for it. Uh, Benitez, he had a showcase title defense, and then he fought Duran, second title defense, you know, number one powerful pop guy in the world. Fights Duran and loses, fights Duran in a rematch, takes another fight, a showcase fight, then he moves up and fights Ayub Kalula, well, that was 34-0, and then fought Tommy Hearns, yeah. you know, and this was all within like an 18-month span. Mm. You know, Oscar is the same way. It's first fight at 147 was Pernell Whitaker, you know, and, um, you know, within two years later, he was fighting Ike Corte, Obacar, and Felix Trinidad all in the same year. Yeah. You know, and then the <laughs> following year he fought, um, Shane Mosley. People laugh at Oscar like he's some kind of joke, but Oscar was a killer when it came down to that. Yeah. I think these guys got to be careful with going too long. Sometimes you go too long, man. You know, it's a, it's a fine line between, you know, building your legacy and your skill set and getting maximizing your dollars, you know, and then sometimes when you get put in that position to take that tough fight, you haven't been in it in so long that, you know, you're just a step behind in every area. So you got to be really, really careful with going so long without putting yourself under the gun because, you know, certain opponents bring out the best in you and Lomachenko brought out the best in Lopez but I hope that Lopez doesn't overdo it, you know, and we're still talking about just the Lomachenko fight that he took in 2020. Right. right. So, you know, it, it'll, it'll, um, it'll screw his legacy up. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I'm not trying to manage him, but I just, I just think that, you know, this whole era, not him because he was the first young guy to step up, but they, they, they kind of like overdo the market stuff with, uh, you know, with, um, not taking the fights, you know, that are available. So now the money, I can't get in it. I don't know, but right. just got to just be careful. But yeah. to answer you directly, uh, Lopez is the real deal. Um, he, he's one of the few guys that are, that's young like that. that has like physical maturity to his body. 
not only is he fast and a sharp puncher, he's physically strong also, which is a difference. You know, a lot of guys can punch, and there's a lot of guys that's fast, but not everybody has physical strength. Lopez is physically strong. You can't, like, bully him around. You know, um, Richard Comey's a real guy. You know, he's flawed, but, you know, anybody can't beat him. You have to be good to beat him. You know, and, um, his, his losses were all controversial, except for Lopez. So, uh, and that guy that he fought can box. That guy he fought got robbed yep. when he fought. He um, that was a very bad decision. And people just didn't care. Nobody talked about it. He wasn't the A side. It was just like, oh, well, let's just, you know. But that was bad. That was a bad decision. There. I think he fought uh, the Romero kid. Did, that, wasn't, that wasn't We right, talked man. about it. We were mad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that wasn't right. And nobody, like, protested for that kid. That kid should, that kid should be an undefeated fighter. Yeah. So he can box, and he has a tricky style. And um, Kami just, he just switch-cheesed him. <laughs> you know, yeah. he just started, he just, he, he, he we we call him in the gym, he just dogged him out, you know. Walked through his shots and started banging on his body and just, you know, forced him. He ran him hot, you know, kind of like if your engine in your car runs hot, he ran that kid hot and just, uh, that was impressive, man. Tommy's going to still be a real guy, you know. Uh, these young uh, contenders, they better leave Kami alone. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and these young, they, anybody can't fight Richard Kami. You know, he has a way of bringing certain things out of you. I saw uh, they were talking about him versus uh, Felix Verdejo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, Felix Verdejo better leave Richard Kami alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think that goes well. <laughs> he for better Verdejo. leave him alone, man. Yeah, yeah, man, that's a that's a tough fight for him. You yeah. know, uh, especially when you got durability issues, a guy like that that's coming chopping down on you all night long. You yeah. know that that's a tough fight for him. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's look ahead to this Saturday's Showtime Championship boxing card, which features the return of Adrian Broner against Giovanni Santiago in a 140-pound bout. We've talked on previous episodes of the podcast about whether Broner deserves as many second chances as he's been getting and whether this second chance is the one he takes seriously. So what's your take on what we've seen of Adrian Broner to this point, and do you think he has it in him to actually get it together at age 31 and make another run? I mean, I think he will make another run. Um, How successful it's going to be, who knows? You know, Broner puts tickets in the seat, and he draws big ratings. That, you know, boxing is a business, and, uh, you know, he has a charismatic personality, and he has, like, the flash and pizzazz, and he is a talented guy. So I, I'll definitely see him getting another big shot against who. I have no idea. You know, I'll have to look at the landscape of 140. But um, I think he's going to um, get another shot. I have no idea who he would fight. You know, um, Josh Taylor and uh, Jose Ramirez are about to unify the titles. And, um, you know, those are really tough fights for him right now. But Broner's a talented guy, and, and he's durable. You know, it's not like he gets knocked out and stopped. You know, he's right. uh, he's a talented guy, you know. Uh, so it, it's a little bit easier to recycle a guy like Broner than it is like a Felix Verdejo or a um, Jorge Linares because they kind of get knocked out when he loses. Right. Well, Broner, you know, um, because of his talent, he doesn't get knocked out. You know, it kind of like, you know, it gives the impression that, if you know, if he does certain things, then, you know, he can get the win in a couple of these big fights. So um, he looks like he's in shape and uh, he's taking this fight serious. So uh, let's see. You know, on the PBC side, I can't think of uh, maybe Regis Pagreas. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of 140 pounders. I mean, that's that would be a really hard fight. 
you know, I don't know if they would do that one, but you know, uh, I'm curious to see where he goes next also. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, a couple other fights on that card. Uh, we got another pair, actually talking about junior welterweights. Uh, Robert Easter Jr. takes on Ryan Martin. Um, and in the co-main heavyweights, we've got Otto Valin against Dominic Brazil, who we haven't seen since uh, Deontay Wilder poleaxed him. Um, anything you're looking forward to there? The last time Brazil fought? Yes, sir. Yep. Man, I didn't know. I didn't realize that. Time flies, man. man. <laughs> I know. I know. You know, man, it, I think it's really dangerous to take off so long after a mm-hmm. knockout. Like, like I'm not talking about, like, the health reasons. Like, if you take off a couple of months, to let your body heal from the concussion. But, like, when a guy is off, like, a year and a half and stuff like that after you stop, because, like, all you're doing is thinking about the last time you were in the ring, and that's all right. that's being reminded. You're hmm. being reminded of constantly with highlights and, media questions and things like that. I think it's kind of like best to like, you know, four or five months just get in the ring and just, you know, work those demons out and get past that. I, I had no idea that was the last time Brazil mm-hmm. fought. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a nice guy. Uh, hopefully he can, um, I mean, he has a tough fight. Otto Wallin, that's the guy who fought uh, Tyson Fury, right? Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's not bad. That's a tough oh. fight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're talking about that and thinking about being knocked out, especially when it's a really viral knockout like happened with Brazil, right? Yeah, everybody's constantly over and over. You constantly get reminded over and over and over and over of what happened to you over and over. It's like, it sucks, you know. Matter of fact, I think that was like in May of 2019, now that you're thinking about it, because we were in camp for Jared Hurd, and and I remember we did part of our camp in California, and uh, Dominic Brazil, I saw him out there, and we were talking. And he was like, I go to the exact weekend after you guys. Mm. So, yeah, I kind of remember that. And I just didn't realize that was the last time he fought. Yeah. So you're talking about almost two years, man. That's, you know, that's tough. It's yeah. it's it's funny you bringing up the having to see it over and over that it, it's just reminding me of a conversation I had this was almost 20 years ago now with with Emmanuel Stewart after Lennox Lewis got his revenge on Hasim Rahman that he was concerned about Lennox's mental state because for the 6 months or so between those fights all that they ever saw everywhere they went was Lennox getting knocked out by Hasim Rahman and he wasn't sure how that was mm-hmm. how that was going to affect him uh, you know and then the fight started mm-hmm. and, and and Lennox was fine and Emmanuel breathed a sigh of relief and he kicked Rahman's ass but it's it's, it's sort of like that what you're talking about you, you get a viral yeah. knockout and it, in this case two years off almost it's over and over and that and that's the last thing people have to reference you to so right. that's all they're talking about over right. and over that week Dominic Brazil is going to have to keep answering. What happened with Wilder? What happened with Wilder? Right. You know, did you see the punch? All that kind of stuff. And it just, it just drives you crazy. <laughs> and if you hurry up and get like a fight within, you know, four or five, six months, get it out of the way and you knock somebody else out, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's kind of just, it's, it's not just a confidence thing. It's like a thing of, you know, building your conscience of, mm constantly you know you know like the most negative thing that can happen to you is being knocked out in boxing because it's like embarrassing because Mm -hmm. people tease you on social media and they say different things so now like uh an embarrassing moment of yours is constantly being brought up it's really unfair to boxers i hate the fact that you know people have that kind of uh, unempathetic view, mm-hmm. you know, uh, stance against boxers on social media where you can kind of say anything you want to fighters, man. 
Mm-hmm. It drives me crazy some of the things that the fans say to boxers. And, uh, you know, I, I, I remember when Peter Quillen got knocked out by mm-hmm. uh, Danny Jacobs, I believe. Right. Yep. Yeah, Danny Jacobs. And he didn't fight for a really long time. And it's really weird, but I don't think his career ever, like, no. was, like, the same. You know, that it was like, you know, they, they were battling for Brooklyn, I believe. And, you mm-hmm. know, they were rivals. And he got, like, that first-round embarrassing knockout. He took off for a long time. And it doesn't seem like he ever regained his form, yeah. Yeah. you know, because Peter Cullen was a heavy-handed guy that was looked at as, like, sort of a threat to Triple G in the yeah. early part of the decade. when I was there when he beat Hassan and Dom. You know, and then it was just like when he lost to Danny Jacobs, it was like that was it. It was yeah. like like even though he fought after that, like his career never really looked the way that it, the projection that it was going on before that fight. And I remember he took off a long time, and it was just like, you know, um, you know that's tough for a fighter, man. You know, I uh, uh, I think the way Lennox Lewis did it, the way Tommy Hearns and Terry Norris, they were like cornerbacks, man. They got back in the ring like, okay, you quit me. Let's let's yeah. go back to work. You know, they were like, you know, star cornerbacks in the NFL. Even Holyfield, like he gets clipped by Riddick Bow. And the next year he's fighting Mike Tyson as a huge underdog. Like, all right, let's fight. You know, they didn't yeah. they didn't let it linger and let it just eat them up mentally. You know, I think Tommy Hearns probably the best fight I've ever seen that recovering from a knockout. It's like no big deal to him. Like, all right, you knocked me out. You know, but um I don't know, to each his own. You know, that always worries me when the guy takes a really long time to fight mm. after he was mm. stopped. Yeah. Unless it was some type of physical damage done to him. Right. Um, so uh, this this Showtime card coming up on Saturday, uh, you actually have a couple of young fighters on the untelevised portion of that card. Uh, Zachary Ochoa, who's 21-1, and one, and Romuel Cruz, who's uh, just 4-0-1, I believe. Uh, who, who are they taking yeah. on, and uh, what, what are you hoping to see from them in these fights? Well, uh, Romeo Cruz, uh, he's having a tough time getting an opponent. I hope they get it together this weekend. Okay. Um, you know, he's had about four or five opponents fall out. Hmm. That's frustrating for me and him because uh, he's been really putting in a lot of work. He's trying to get, you know, get into a groove and, you know, get some fights in succession. Uh, Zachary Ochoa, he's fighting Juan Velasco. Uh, He's 23 and two, I think 22 and two with 14 KOs. Um, he lost to Mario Barrios and uh, Regis <clears throat> Pagres. He's a good fighter. He's from Argentina. He's strong. Um, he's a good fighter. This would be a good fight. Um, but Zachary, man, he's been showing a lot of progress. Hopefully, you know, he gets, you know, a stream on Showtime or somebody gets to see his fight. Um, because uh, I mean, this is a good fight. He's twenty-one and one, and the guy is twenty-three and two. It's kind of a too good of a fight not to be on TV. And uh, um, Zachary has really, really um, been showing a lot of progress since I got him. Mm. I'm very, very impressed with him. Uh, he's been really, really looking good and sparring. Uh, he showed a lot of dedication. I mean, I, I don't know if I've seen the kid do what he did. He came to Philly from Brooklyn. He got an Airbnb for six weeks, and literally all he does is go running on the banks and come to the gym and go to the grocery store. He disabled his social media. This kid is really locked nice. in, and he's uh-huh. um he's been on fire. He's been sparring some really good lightweights and junior welterweights in the city, 
And, um, you know, he's been doing a great job. I'm, uh, I'm really, really impressed with his progress, and uh, hopefully um, this can springboard him to a big fight. Are you, because it's 140, is there, I know that Showtime have had guys on the untelevised portion of the card during COVID who can step in if something happens. Yeah. Have you been told mm-hmm. that that might happen if, like, Ryan Martin or uh, Robert sure. Easter can't fight? Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. And we're, hey, listen, you know, this part of the game, I will be willing to. This yep. kid is like, I'm, I'm telling you, man, this kid, you know, I saw him before when he was with Golden Boy. I watched him fight, you know, and I, I thought he was decent. I wasn't overly impressed. But when I started training him and I got some things going with him and, you know, we, we he's really engaged to some of the things, I've been, to everything I've been telling him. And he is really, really coming along. I'm really okay. impressed with him, man. Okay. All right. Um, Diamond it forward a little. Somebody else we know you're very impressed with. Uh, on April 10th, Jaron Boots Ennis takes on Sergei Lipinets. Uh, that seems like a really solid step up fight for him. Uh, do you like Lipinets for him at this stage? And, and what do you want to see out of him in that fight? What do you mean? Do I like him? Like, do I think it's too much too soon? No, do you think it's just right? Like, it feels just right for uh, to me. You know, uh, just the right kind of yeah. step up. Yeah, I think it's, I think he'll be just fine. I, okay. I mean, I just. I don't like to overrate a kid and then everybody's like, I told you so, you know, <laughs> waiting for the guy to fail. You put right. like a little pressure on the guy, but I just don't know who I would pick to beat him. Mm. And I'm not saying he can beat everybody, but I wouldn't feel comfortable picking anybody at 147 to beat him mm. because I have information that you guys don't have because I've been watching the kid in the gym since he was 17 right. years old. Right. And he's just, you know, I think Lippinus is an excellent fighter, man. He's strong. He's um, very durable. He's tough. He's been in tough. I just feel like that uh, Boots is just has too much length. It's not just height, but it's length. He'll, he'll be able to hit Lippinus from much farther away than Lippinus will be able to hit him. So Lippinus will either have to, you know, really have, like, educated fast feet like Castano showed mm-hmm. where he was able to cut the distance on Textera. Castano's only about five seven. He's able to cut the distance really quickly Textera, but everybody can't do that. Lipinitz will have to be able to do that or he's going to get picked apart from the outside. You know, Boots is a kid that's ex- it's extremely hard to win rounds against him. I don't know if he's lost a round as a pro fighter. I'm serious. I don't really know if he's lost a round. I've probably seen maybe 10 of his fights. And I can't really think of a round that I saw, like, where I said he lost that round. You know, I seen him get hit with a nice shot here in Philadelphia, but that was one shot, you know, when he was a prospect coming up. You know, it's really, really tough to win rounds against him. And uh, even in the gym, you know, he don't give up rounds like that. You got to earn it. And uh, Lippinus is just going to have his work cut out for him from that standpoint of being able to cut the distance and uh, the kid that he has a, not only is he um, has really good reflexes and he can punch, but he's also very busy and he's constant with his jab. And by the time you break the distance, you're dealing with the fact that he's always touching you to the body. He's constant. Mm-hmm. You know, he has like, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like, remember that torture technique where someone just drops water on your head. That's what right. it is. Just dropping water on you. Just dropping. Boom. Boom, boom, he's always touching you. So as good as Lippinitz is, I just think that he's a little small for Boots. Boots is a big kid. 
they list him as 5'10", but he has, like, a much bigger presence. You know, mm-hmm. he seems to me to be closer to 5'11", and he has long arms, and he can touch you from really far away. So, you know, I would be surprised, you know, as much as I like whipping it, and I think he's a hell of a fighter, and Joe Goosen's one of my favorite trainers, I honestly would be surprised if he could win more than one round against this kid. Wow. I don't think he's going to be able to do it. It's just if he wins one round, I would be shocked. It's just, it's just, it's it's hard to deal with how long and sharp that kid is and how busy he is. He has a really high volume for um for somebody that's sharp. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's finish with a, a betting question for you, Breadman. Uh, perhaps some some insights to help the listeners make some bread. Uh, I'm looking at the upcoming fight schedule and looking for a fight to bet, and the one that jumps out at me is Juan Francisco Estrada, Chocolatito Gonzalez, too. Uh, I'm seeing Estrada as a minus 138 favorite, Chocolatito as a plus 110 underdog. The draw is 18 to 1. I really like that price on Estrada, personally. Uh, Do you see a side there that you like and think you'll bet? Or is there another fight coming up that that you have a strong position on? You know what, man? I um, I don't like Estrada as much as everybody else does. Okay. I think he's fresher, but I think that that last fight on him with um, Quadras, Quadras, I think that was a grueling fight. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, th- I think he was ran down a little bit in that fight. He got knocked down, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I think that was a grueling fight. So I think they're both, you know, on the other side of the hill, even though they're not washed up. Right. right. Um, I think Estrada is a little bit like stronger than Chocolatito as far as like his bone structure and who's like walks around as the bigger, stronger man when they're not boxing. But, um, you know, if I was to take that fight, honestly, I would take the over. I think that that's like the safest bet in that fight. I would take the over. I think it's going to go over and I think it's going to go the distance. Right. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Chalk pulled it out. Mm-hmm. I think okay. it's going to be tough. And I think there's some value in the draw in that fight. Yeah. If you watch their first fight, it's hard to separate the rounds yeah. between yeah. them. Yeah. You know, they're both kind of like busy and, you know, have like this fluid way with them where their punches are just flowing. It's hard to separate the rounds. I would not be surprised at a draw at all in that fight. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that I, I the uh, the Diaz fight uh, over the weekend. Yeah, as it's getting late in the fight, I'm thinking, man, I really wish I'd bet the draw on this one. This could be headed toward mm-hmm. a draw. It's one of those things where I usually remember to put a couple bucks on the draw if I think it has a chance of being a close fight. And of course, I didn't do it with that one. But but you're right, this might be a good one at eight, at eighteen to one. Put ten bucks on the draw and see what happens. Yeah, a matter <laughs> of fact, I'm think I'm going to do that. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I think that that's exactly what I'm going to do. Is uh is take the draw in that fight. All right. All right. Hey, listen, man. It's always good to have you join us. We really appreciate you putting some time aside. All the best this week. Um, you know, with Zachary and Romuel, and uh, hope hope Romuel gets an opponent, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Take Thanks, care. Stephen. Take care. All right. All right. Our thanks again to Breadman, the unofficial third host of the podcast. Yeah, uh, I say unofficial because Kieran and I don't want to dilute our paychecks to cut him in. Uh, but but seriously, we appreciate Bread making time every couple of months to share his insights with us. Uh, let's look ahead now 
to this week's cards on Showtime, and we begin with Wednesday's Showbox card. The first scheduled bout on that card, featuring Timur Karafov against Arhenis Espana, has been called off. Uh, Karafov will still be on the card, but his bout, now against Fernando Ezequiel Farias, will not be shown live, although there will be highlights shown during the broadcast. Uh, So the broadcast is now a triple header, opening with eight rounds of lightweight action between Alejandro Porkchop Guerrero, who is 12-0 with nine KOs, and Abraham Montoya, 19-2-1, 14 knockouts. The co-main event is 10 rounds of super middleweight action between Vladimir Shishkin, who is 11-0 with seven KOs, and Sena Agbeko, 23-1 with 18 stoppages. And then the main event pits... Nelson Figueroa Boca Chica against Mark <laughs> Reyes Jr. in a welterweight contest, also slated for 10 rounds. Nelson Figueroa Boca Chica is 16-0 with 11 KOs, while Reyes is 14-0 with 12 KOs. Kieran, you talked a little about Reyes last week, and you mentioned you were quite impressed with what you'd seen of him. So let's cut straight to the chase. Are you picking him to defeat Nelson Figueroa Boca Chica? <laughs> I mean, I kind of hope not for your sake. Um, uh, it's a tough pick. This is a this matchup is a Gordon Hall special. Yes. Um, two unbeaten young prospects. Boca Chica is twenty two. Uh, I think that's his name, right? What is his name again? Is it Boca Chica? Uh, that's part of his name. That is the third and final stage of Janelson Figueroa Boca Chica. Okay, that's the guy. All right, and uh, Reyes twenty four coming on to twenty five. Um, you know, the colliding at a point in their career where they could easily be forgiven for taking slightly easier routes and padding their records, maybe making a couple more showbox appearances or whatever. But instead, one of these two is likely to end up with an L. Uh, and it's awfully hard, actually, for me to pick which one it will be. As I mentioned last week, you know, Reyes is an exciting, I think he's technically sound pressure fighter. He's got good upper body movement, uh, solid defense, likes to work in close. Uh, he's on a nine-bout knockout streak, too. Janelson uh, Figueroa Bocajica, as we have previously <laughs> seen on Showbox, can also crack. Actually, both men have five first-round knockouts on their ledgers. Uh, he's a little taller and a little longer than Reyes. And if he's able to use that to his advantage, I think that could be the important difference because I do think that he needs to be able to keep him at a little bit of range and use straight punches, which he throws very well, uh, to keep him at distance and stop him coming forward and wear him down a little bit. Uh, neither of their professional records is great yet in terms of caliber of opposition, but I do think Boca Chica's is fractionally better. He does have a much better amateur record and against much better quality opposition. So... That is what I think is going to make the decision for me. I am going to plump with not a great deal of certainty, but I'm going to plump for a Janelson Figueroa Bocachica win here. Uh, even though both guys are used to winning it inside the distance, I think he's going to have to go the distance. Uh, Bocachica by unanimous decision. All right. Uh, yeah, this is one hell of a tough call. And yeah. just a great style matchup, 90% certain, in my view, to produce fireworks. Uh, so, yep. yeah, you called it a Gordon Hall special. I was going to give a tip of the cap to Gordon and to Salida Promotions for this piece of matchmaking, at least on paper. These guys are almost the same fighter, you know, both undefeated, mm-hmm. both aggressive, both finishers. Neither one has faced many good opponents. There's just not much to separate them based on the limited evidence presented so far. Uh, As you said, they are built differently. Boca Chica is longer and leaner. Reyes is somewhat stubby. Boca Chica is listed at 5'9 and a quarter and Reyes at 5'8. So they're not that far apart, but... I don't know. Reyes kind of looks a little squatter than that. Yeah. So exactly. I, yeah. I wonder if he'll be giving up more height and reach in the ring than the official measurements suggest. Um, so you'll recall for the Fulton Leo fight, 
I had a tough time picking a winner, but I said my confident pick was that it would go the distance, and, and that's what I ended up betting on, a distance fight. This is the reverse of that for me. I'm again having a hell of a time telling you who's going to win, but I'm pretty confident it's not going to go all 10 rounds. With these styles, it's bombs away. I expect a knockout, and it's going to come down probably to who has the better chin and or whose home run punch lands first. Uh, I think Figueroa Boca Chica looks like he can do more things. He might be a little more athletic, but... You mentioned his straight punches. I was noticing spots where he tends to punch wide. Uh, that was jumping out at me. Uh, so, you know, much as it pains me to pick against that beautiful, beautiful name, <laughs> my gut is telling me Reyes slips the big bomb in there between one of those wider hooks or crosses of Boca Chica. I'm going to say Reyes KO5. Uh, but it's really a coin toss kind of prediction. The bet that I will make if the bet is available and if the odds are attractive is on it not to go the distance. So either way, I'm betting against you, Kieran. It says a lot, I think, about already the caliber of the matchmaking on Showtime that, you know, we would laugh for a long time, especially on the HBO cards, about uh, how the fact that we would always make the same pick. Yep. The fact that we've already diverged so much, yep. uh, I, I think just, just is really, I mean, it probably sounds a bit homerish of us, but, uh, but we've had some really good quality cards so far already on Showtime. So uh, especially on Showbox. And I think, I think that highlights it. Um, Moving on to uh, Saturday and the Showtime Championship Boxing Triple Header. It opens with a junior welterweight contest between uh, Robert Easter Jr., 22-1-1 with 14 KOs, and Ryan Martin, who is 24-1 with 14 KOs. Eric, what are you expecting from this matchup, and what is your pick, sir? So we have a very interesting plot line here. These guys have known each other quite a while. They fought in the amateurs uh, in the first round of the U.S. National Championships in 2012. Uh, they fought an Easter won a 14-8 decision, and he claims he scored a couple of eight counts along the way. They also sparred in 2016, uh, about 30 rounds, while Easter was preparing to fight Richard Comey. Of course, a lot can change in five years or nine years. One notable factor is that Easter was 21 nine years ago, and Martin was only 18. So that, that can make a big difference. Yeah. In any case, Easter is much more proven in the pros. This will be his eighth fight on Showtime. Their records are similar, but the quality of opposition for Easter is considerably higher. Martin was a prospect, uh, a blue-chip prospect, according to his nickname, when he stepped up to the world-class level for the first time in 2018 and got dominated and stopped in seven rounds by Josh Taylor. There's no shame in losing to Josh Taylor, but, well, maybe a little shame when you barely put up a fight and then you test positive for PEDs afterward. Uh, anyway, stylistically, I'm not totally sure what to expect here. Easter can be thrilling at times, but he was as dull as they come against Rancis Bartholomew two fights ago. It's an interesting fight in that both guys are at a career crossroads, it seems. If they ever want to make it big, they have to win this fight. Certainly Martin, if he loses badly again, so much for that blue chip label. But Easter too, at age 30, he would slip out of the serious title picture with a loss. So lots of pressure here. Both guys should be motivated. I'm hopeful we'll see a better Easter than we saw against Bartholomew and a better Martin than we saw against Taylor. And I think we're looking at a distance fight here, a competitive fight, but there should be a clear winner, maybe like 116-112 or 117-111, unanimous decision for Robert Easter. What's your pick here? Yeah, yeah it's interesting, Ryan Martin. It's an interesting one. I remember when I was up in Big Bear, 
with Abel Sanchez before Gennady Golovkin fought Canelo the first time. Uh, and Abel was talking about how he wanted to wind down his career a little bit, but he really wanted to like take Ryan Martin to a title shot first. Um, and yeah, that just hasn't quite worked out for him. And yeah, you're, you've got a target on your back when you call yourself blue chip. Um, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> um, but Easter, Easter's an odd case. Uh, you, you know, as you mentioned, he, he can be exciting. He was deathly dull against Bartholomew and he's clearly talented. It feels to me like Easter's plateaued. Um, he's, I think, two one and one in his last four. But had Javier Fortuna not been docked a point early in their contest, that would have been a draw. Um, his most recent outing of points win over Adrian Granados was, was exciting, but the decision was a little controversial. Um, he's become, it feels, of late, something of a more diffident boxer. You know, it feels like his output has decreased a little bit. Although, you know, he's statistically at least much improved when he stepped up to 140 against Granados. And he says that that was what was making the difference. Towards the end there, he was really struggling to make 135. And that he'll be back to his best now at 140. But, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how sold I am on, on what Easter can do going forward, but I am going to take his word for it in terms of the fact that 140 is better for him. It's very hard not to look at the substantially, substantially better professional record that he has in terms of uh, opposition. And it's hard to look past the fact that Martin just stunk up the joint against Josh Taylor. I agree with you on this one. I don't think this fight will be the highlight of the night, but I do think that Robert Easter Jr. comes out of it with a unanimous decision win. Wouldn't it be ironic if right after you talked about uh, how this matchmaking has us disagreeing all over the place, if we agreed on all of the remaining fights here? We'll see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the co-main sees former Showtime Boxing podcast guest Otto Valin. Uh He's done other stuff, but first and foremost, he's known as <laughs> right, a former precisely. Showtime Boxing podcast guest. He'll square off against Dominic Brazil, uh, who, uh, as we mentioned in the conversation with Breadman earlier, much to Breadman's surprise, uh, hasn't fought in 21 months. Uh, Kieran, when we spoke off line about this fight a week or so ago you didn't seem particularly excited by this matchup do you feel more enthusiastic about it now and how do you see it unfolding so the should point out my lack of initial enthusiasm had nothing to do with valeen who i think uh, as do you is a legitimate top 10 heavyweight contender mm-hmm. um but with brazil and, and sort of following on from the point that breadman was making and part of that is because it's awfully hard to shake that image uh of the last time we saw dominic brazil um I, I still chuckle a little bit at the reaction from, from much of the boxing media in the U.S. when Valine was announced as Tyson Fury's opponent um, because uh, because they hadn't heard of him. They assumed he was crap because he was from abroad. Um, whereas you and I had had to prep for him twice for Showtime right. fights, only one of which went ahead. So we both knew already he was kind of useful. Um, and that secret is now out. Uh, and of course, he's since picked up a win against Travis Kaufman since the Fury fight. Uh, Brazil, well, yes, the abiding recollection of him is that mammoth right hand of Deontay Wilder landing on his jaw and you and I uh, and various others ringside <laughs> sitting there mouths agape. Um, and, and perhaps that's unfair because he isn't by any means a, a terrible fighter. Um, the, the biggest problem that he has is that he's got a bit of a rock'em sock'em robots approach to, to fighting. He's like, I'm, you can hit me and I'm just going to hit you back harder. Uh, a lot of the time that works. Um, but it does mean that he's tremendously easy to hit. His opponents do consistently outland him, you know, even when he, he outthrows them. And sometimes they hit him flush. He's been down six times in his career, including twice against Anthony Joshua in his first loss uh, and that time against Wilder, of course. Outslugging your opponents can work at a certain level. But once you step up, it 
often does not unless you've got something else. Um, when you're faced with opponents who are technically good and have good defense uh, and can keep calm under fire, you can come unstuck. And, and I think that's what Brazil is facing in Valin. Uh, Valin's a solid technician. He works well and consistently behind his southpaw jab. I think that jab will be the key here. Brazil might start brightly, actually. He might know that age, I think, 36. And after a long layoff, he doesn't maybe have too much in the tank. It might be a little bit scruffy early, actually, as Brazil's trying to like really impose himself. Uh, but I think Valin will settle down. I see him start peppering Brazil from the outside. Brazil's output will drop. Uh, I think eventually the easy thing, I was tempted to just say this is going to be uh, a 10-round decision. I'm going to actually think that mm, something's going to happen, whether it's a damaged eye or cuts or swelling or just a bit too much punishment. I'm actually going to say that Brazil will end up like taking a knee or something in round nine. Valine TKO nine. Okay. Um, I felt since the first time that we watched him in preparation for the aborted Nick Kisner fight, uh, that, that Valine was legit, that he had the makings of a real heavyweight contender. You, you felt similarly. He's done nothing to disprove that. Uh, he's probably one of the 10 best heavyweights right at this moment. Brazil at his best a few years ago was flirting with top 10 status mm -hmm. he isn't a bad fighter he's generally been more exciting than actually elite but you know he's, right. he's done fine against everyone he's faced other than joshua and wilder i think if he is still currently roughly the same fighter he was at age 30 or so then he's a dangerous test for valin and and certainly he would be Valin's second best opponent that, that right. Valin has faced as a pro. The question is whether he's hitting that point physically after getting squashed by water, then taking a long layoff where he's just ready to come apart easily against mm. any good heavy, heavyweight. All the, all the same stuff that, that, that you've been thinking and the bread man was saying. If he is, well, Valin still isn't that kind of puncher. So it's still right. not going to be a quickie, I think, either way. But it could be uncompetitive. It could end badly. My hunch, though, is that Brazil is going to come in hungry, ready to make a stand, and have some moments here and make a fight of this. Will it be enough to win? No, probably not. But I see this as a pretty solid heavyweight scrap. I think we'll learn a little about Valin here mm -hmm. as he pulls away in the second half of the fight. And I could see something just like what you picked, him him stopping a tired Brazil late, maybe. But I think it's more likely it goes the distance. Uh, so we are not going to completely agree on everything the rest of the way. Phew. Uh, Valine, <laughs> unanimous decision for me. All right. And now to the main event. Uh, Adrian Bronner returns in his first outing since facing off against Manny Pacquiao two years ago, in which he reminded the world why so much of that world really enjoys watching him lose by putting in very little evident effort and then immediately complaining that he'd been robbed. Um, in recent weeks and months, he's been singing a somewhat different kind of tune, telling our friend Brian Custer on his podcast that he was done with drinking and carousing that had prevented him maximizing his potential, saying that, quote, <laughs> I didn't have a drinking problem. I could stop whenever I want. That's what they all say. Right. Before adding that, in somewhat in contrary to what he previously said, the first thing you do when you wake up is take a drink. Okay. Spend 10, 15, 20 grand at a club. It was a hard cycle to stop, but I did it. And who among us can honestly say they can't identify with every single element of that? Um, of course, that will be the storyline. Uh, the, the notion of Bronner coming back from that, it's the same as we, you and I have discussed, the same as we spoke with Keith Eidek about last week and Redman just now. So let's actually change gears here a little bit. Um, this is the Adrian Bronner comeback tour. 
But there will be another man in the ring on Saturday night, and he will be aiming to cut that tour short. Giovanni Santiago is 14-0-1. Weird, weird career. Turned pro in 2007, took a five-and-a-half-year layoff after his first three fights, claiming that he couldn't get fights, uh, and since coming back has had just 12 bouts in six-and-a-half years. Does he pose any kind of a threat to Bronner? Or does that really depend on whether we believe Bronner's talk about being a reformed character? So, yeah, we, we touched on this fight last week with Keith, uh, as you said, and we all kind of to one degree or another dismissed Santiago as a soft touch, a setup. But I hadn't watched any of Santiago as of last week. Now I have. And I kind of like what I see. Mm. Uh, I, I put a question mark at the end of a, of a non-question <laughs> there, but... Um, you know, what I'm seeing, is it a great against great opposition? No, but last time out, he took on a 16-0 fighter, Juan Zagara, in December, and I watched the whole fight, all two minutes and 56 seconds of it, because Santiago stopped that 16-0 fighter in the first round, and I thought he looked good. He ended it with a left to the body, and uh, that, you know, based on a highlight video from other Santiago fights that I watched, that is one of his signature punches. He's good with the hooks to the body. He also has a lot of power in his right hand upstairs. Plus, he seems to have a good sense of distance. He, he was getting himself to the right range and picking off punches with his gloves. He's not as fast as Broner, clearly, but he seems to know what he's doing in there. He seems to have good power. I really think he could prove to be dangerous and prove to be a test. But there's one thing that concerns me. In 2017, Santiago defeated then 42-year-old Chop Chop Corley and won a close decision in which Chop Chop dropped him twice. Uh, Corley is one of those guys who, you know, even well past his best, he could pull the occasional upset and give younger guys trouble. But still, that, that result doesn't bode well for Santiago. So uh, back to your question. I do think Santiago is good enough that it will matter which Broner we get on Saturday night. Uh, the same Broner we've seen the last four fights. Yeah, you know, Broner's still a favorite here, I suppose, but it ain't easy. Just like that split decision win he was given over Adrian Granados. Uh, I think we will need to see a rededicated, serious, mature, focused Broner in order for him to have an easy time with Santiago. Uh, Giovanni is capable of beating that other Broner, I think. Again, not wouldn't make him the favorite, but I think he could beat that guy. Uh, so I should probably make my pick. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Now we've got tons of time. I got nowhere to go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, but I, I just can't believe Broner is suddenly going to be this next-level fighter we've never quite mm -hmm. seen. We've only seen in glimpses mostly five or more years ago. But I'll kind of meet him halfway. I, I believe there's some new level of dedication and kicking alcohol alone should make him a better athlete. I think it's a better Broner, but not an, oh my God, he's a whole new fighter Broner. Yeah. Good enough to win this fight without needing any help from the judges. And in fact, it won't go to the cards. I say Broner stops Santiago in round 10 of a fairly competitive fight. What, what do you say? Do you have a different take on Santiago and on how much you believe in the new and improved Broner? Uh, no. Uh, the one thing that I will say, and I do think, to follow up from your point, I, I agree with you that an awful lot is dependent on which Bronner shows up. Mm. Um, I feel like, you know, fool me once, shame on, you know, shame on you, fool me once, fool me twice, shame on me, fool me <laughs> 18 times. 
uh, I don't know. Part of me thinks that there's still enough in there for for Bronner to. I think he's going to be better. I think he's going to be a better, more focused, more disciplined Bronner than we have seen over the last couple of years. Uh, part of the big difference, I think, with how Bronner has performed in the last several years is also how he's looked since he stepped up from like 130, 135, and he just hasn't been the same fighter at those, those higher weights. And maybe he'll be better at 140. I think, you know, when you look also at Santiago, he's particularly adept at dealing with guys who have a low punch output. Like he's very good at taking it to guys who aren't going to throw punches and, and sort of outworking them. And that is what Bronner has been over the last few years. Somebody who doesn't have a very high punch output. And that is where the danger lies for Adrian Bronner. I think um, he is back with coach Mike Stafford, who has tended to get the best out of him uh, was with him uh, for you know, from his very early days as a kid, uh, I hoped that that will give him a little bit more focus. But I do think that early on, we're going to see a situation where Bron is going to come in all all smiley and happy and, and rapping to the ring and everything's going to be great. And then he's going to be really surprised because Santiago's going to start taking it to him. <laughs> um, and I think it'll take Bron a little while. The key point, I think, is the one that you talked about with Chop Chop Corley there. Even when Adrian Bron has been in trouble when he's been outworked the dude can still hit mm. and he can hit on the counter very very well you know even sean porter found that out after after whooping him for 11 rounds he got dropped pretty hard in the, in the end of that fight uh i see something similar to this happening actually i think santiago might start quite brightly but then i think bron is going to get into his game a little bit and i think what's probably going to end up happening is maybe bron is going to be a little bit less impressive than folks think but he's still probably going to be starting to be ahead. And then I just think Santiago's going to walk into something. Simple as that. It'll be a relatively even contest in which Bronner is slightly ahead, but he's going to walk into something and going to get knocked out, after which Bronner will determine that he's the best 140-pound <laughs> fighter in the world. Uh, I think it might happen. It could happen at any point. Uh, I just think it might happen a bit earlier than you do, and I'm going to pick Bronner KO6. Ah, okay. Uh, and uh, sorry for laughing over your fool me once uh, bit, but uh, ever since George W. Bush, I can't keep that oh, line straight right. in my head either. Uh, so, you know, say, say it, it, yeah, you, you stumbled just a little bit and I just had to laugh because uh, <laughs> I can't remember how what he did to it. Uh, I don't remember exactly either, but, but it, it wasn't good. Yeah, yeah, and what he did causes me to have to stop and think. And is it shame <laughs> on you first, or shame on me first? How does this go? I used to know it. Now I now I can't do it anymore because I am. So anyway, uh, never let it be said that the George W. Bush presidency had no lingering effect. <laughs> there we go. All right, so uh, that's four fights we have picked for this coming week. Uh, some opportunity for scores to change and for me to be either more or less in the vicinity of right where you want me. But for now, I am holding a 6-2 to two lead. So update to come next week. Until then, best of luck to you, sir. <laughs> and to you. I don't mean that. <laughs> no, no, you really don't. Uh, I sort of mean it, but not if it starts to get close. Uh, all right. So uh, the Showtime Championship boxing card won't be the only major fight on US TV this coming weekend. ESPN will be showing a highly anticipated 130-pound clash between Miguel Burchelt and Oscar Valdez. 
Rochelle is 37-1 and with 33 KOs and is unbeaten in almost seven years and has held an alphabet belt since 2017. He won that belt against Francisco Vargas, and his first defense was against Takashi Miura, and he subsequently defeated the likes of Mickey Roman, Jason Sosa, and Vargas again. Uh, Valdez is 28-0 with 22 KOs held an alphabet belt at 126 pounds from 2016 to 19 and is now fighting for the third time at 130. He came off the deck to stop Adam Lopez in 2019 and he stopped Jason Velez in round 10 last time out in July. Uh, Kieran, you've been ringside for fights featuring both men. What are you expecting on Saturday? I think that should be a fascinating contest. Um, but Charles has been one of the top guys at 130 for several years without really getting that defining fight that we kept thinking was just around the corner. Uh, uh, this is it now for him, you know, but Chelsea, like a, a very good all-rounder. He can box and he can brawl. He can work inside or out, but I think he's especially good when he has the opportunity to get on the inside. Uh, Valdez is a real chameleon here. Um, when he fought Ruben Tamayo on HBO in 2015, I was ringside and I, I thought, wow, this guy's a really nice boxer. I'd like to see more of him. Whereas I recall you saying on the HBO podcast saying that on TV it hadn't come across as well and he just seemed really dull. Um, and then he started being progressively a bit more fun to watch. He stopped Evgeny Gradovich, which was a very good win at the time. Mm-hmm. And then really beginning with his fight with Scott Quigg or thereabouts then, he turned into Arturo Gaddy. Um, it has nearly cost him. He was badly injured in the quick fight. Uh, in the fight before that, he went down against Genesis Savania. He went, as you mentioned, he went down and nearly out against Adam Lopez. Has made him a lot more bankable. I, I think the pattern of this fight probably depends a lot uh, depends a lot on how Valdez tries to fight or how Burchell allows him to. Hmm. I'm picking Burchell, but if Valdez is able to box on the outside and turn and work off the jab, maybe make it a little bit more boring as he was about five or six years ago, that uh, might be Valdez's night. What about you? Uh, So uh, I have seen neither of these fighters in person, but uh, that does not make me any less excited for this fight. Uh, It it is a can't miss from an action standpoint. Uh, Valdez is the underdog. I'm seeing between about two to one and two and a half to one. And yeah, it makes sense. Seems about right to me. Uh, you mentioned Gaddy. He, he he has a fair amount of Gaddy in him. He can't help himself from going to war, it seems. Uh, and he gets caught. He gets knocked down. I believe he's been dropped in three separate fights. Uh, the talent level's pretty comparable here, but yeah. Burchelt is the slightly bigger guy with the better chin from what we've seen and probably the slightly better power. So it makes sense to me that he's favored. If we were making picks, he would be my pick. But... Who cares? Who cares about making picks with this right. one? Or uh, I'm not going to break down the X's and O's. This, for me, is just sit back, appreciate that two of the best fighters at 130 are squaring off, sit back and enjoy it. We sit through a lot of uninteresting, uncompetitive matchups to get to one like this. I I hope the timing works out, that this main event gets in the ring after the Showtime card is over. But whatever you're watching and whenever you're watching it, Saturday should be a good night to be a boxing fan. Indeed. Uh, All right, it's news time, and our main event this week is something of a doubleheader. In news first reported by Jake Donovan of Boxing Scene, Oscar De La Hoya has been granted a federal boxing ID, which is valid until 2024, suggesting that his recent talk of making a comeback in the ring may be more than just talk. And meanwhile, Jake Donovan is also reporting that Oscar's former fighter, Canelo Alvarez, has been granted a promoter's license in Nevada. So the fighter is getting licensed to become a promoter, and the 
promoter is possibly getting licensed to become a fighter again. <laughs> Hashtag boxing. What a world we live in. Uh, Kieran, what do you make of these two role reversal news items involving two of the biggest names in boxing? My guess is that Canelo Promotions isn't such a big deal now, but that it's more of a marker for the future, if you will. Um, you know, guys like Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather, Miguel Cotto all started ostensibly co-promoting their own fights. But I think it was as much a financial and organizational move initially. And it was only later, like really as they stopped fighting, did they become, especially Floyd, legit actual promoters in their own right. Um, for now, whoever he partners with, Canelo, uh, be it Matchroom or PBC, that partner is going to be doing all the promotional heavy lifting. But I think it's clear that it's all part of Canelo's move toward greater independence and, and with an eye to the future. I would not be surprised especially if he ends up having as many fights this year as he's talked about. If Canelo ends up like hanging up the gloves at the end of 2022, say, mm. and moves on to being more of a mentor and promoter full-time then. And I suspect this is all part... Everything about Canelo feels as if it's part of a plan. Like, he doesn't do anything spontaneously. Uh, and this feels as if that's, that's part of a step along the road. Uh, as for Oscar, yikes. Um... This doesn't mean he'll be licensed by any stage to box, right. but it does suggest he's being somewhat serious about making it happen. Uh, he, he's not committed to anything. I, God, I, I just really hope that if he does go ahead with this, then despite everything that he said, he does like a senior exhibition circuit like Mike Tyson. Right. I, I, none of us need to see Oscar trying to make a serious run at whatever weight class he'd end up in now, middleweight or whatever it would be. Oscar obviously has an itch that he still needs to scratch. And, and I suspect that part of that is he knows deep down that he let himself down a bit. That is good. No, actually, as great as he was. Mm -hmm. If he'd shown half the dedication to his craft that, that Mayweather did, he could have been even greater. That's, gosh, that's the problem with boxing. If, if fighters retire without feeling that they've done everything they can, that urge just never, never goes away. And... It feels as if Oscar wants to try to follow through on this. I mean, we'll see what happens. Like I said, this is stage one. Um, it doesn't guarantee that, I've, that uh, any state's going to license him. But I, on, from the outside, I would rather he really funneled all his effort into being a really, really good promoter. But I'm not him. Right. And he's, he's obviously still feeling unfulfilled if he wants to come back and seriously uh, make a run of it. Well, quick counterpoint uh, about, you know, that Oscar still has an itch to scratch because he feels he didn't do everything he could. Floyd Mayweather did everything he could, and he still can't totally walk away true. and stop to you. That's so true, huh? I, I, yeah. think, I think it's just something that runs through almost all of them, no matter how yeah. and when their career ended. They're never quite willing to cut all ties heck every now and then george foreman it seems like we'll talk about <laughs> whether he might fight again i guess that's finally stopped in the last few years but it went on a long time so yeah that's it's all of them really yeah one of the few exceptions is lennox right or lennox lennox like whenever once he said he was retired he always i always thought yep yeah, that's gonna stick right. like he always struck me as a guy who boxed because he was good at it not because he like woke up in the morning with an urge to punch someone in the face yeah, I, oh, I think I that's that's a great point, that he maybe never had quite the same passion for it, and uh, maybe along similar lines, another guy. It's only been three years, so who knows if he'll still come back, but Andre Ward doesn't seem yeah. to have any sort of desire to return to the ring, from what I can tell. Yep, yep. All right, uh, on to the rest of the news, and we have 
some sad news to report to start uh, our roundup here. Uh, 42-year-old light heavyweight Roy King Jr. died uh, this last week from injuries sustained in a fight 13 months ago. He was knocked down four times by Seno Ekbeko, who we will be seeing on Showbox on Wednesday in January 2020. He was taken out of the ring on a stretcher and rushed to hospital. During his time in hospital, he suffered two strokes and he never regained consciousness. Um, Former heavyweight boxer Mitchell Rose has died at the age of 51. Uh, Rose compiled a career record of just two, 11, and one, but one of those two wins came against Butterbean, the first defeat in Butterbean's career, and and surely the one of the results that most had Bob Arum fuming. Um, <laughs> yes. Not sure how that was allowed to happen, but there you go. Uh, Zemezi Nguni, trainer of such South African stars as Welcome Nsita, Viani Bungu, Bulele Butile, and Hawk Makapela has died at 72, 10 years after suffering a stroke that left him in ill health. And manager Stan Hoffman has died at 89. Hoffman was manager of, among others, Hasim Rahman and Iran Barkley. Uh, talking of Barkley, he was admitted to hospital with COVID this past week, but he has given several interviews to report that he is doing well, which we're pleased to hear. Uh, unfortunately, we have a couple of news items that are not related to death or disease. Uh, promoter Bob Aram is reportedly musing that Vasily Lomachenko, fresh off shoulder surgery after his loss to Teofimo Lopez, might make his comeback this summer against Masayoshi Nakatani, who gave Lopez a tough fight in 2019 and last year knocked out Felix Verdejo uh, and finally Diego Higa and Naoya Inoue engaged in an exhibition to raise money for COVID relief this past week and honestly it was a damn sight better than a lot of sanction bouts uh, they even took off their headgear in the third of three rounds and basically just beat the hell out of each other while smiling broadly I don't know how good that was for them or their careers but it was great for charity and it was great for the fans yeah um, so of the various tragedies from this past week, the only person who died that I knew at all personally was Stan Hoffman, and I didn't know him well, just knew him a bit, and it had been quite a while since we spoke. If anyone saw Steve Farhood last week tweet R.I.P. Bubbala, he was referring to Stan. Uh, that was something many people called Stan. In addition to his boxing career, uh, Stan Hoffman had a very successful career in music. Before he came to boxing, he worked with Fats Domino and Chuck Berry. Uh, and yeah. I learned uh, he was also the nephew of gangster Meyer Lansky. So uh, interesting. Really? Life, uh, wow. Yeah. wow. Very uh, cool. So, yeah. So I will echo Steve's R.I.P. Bubbla on that one. Uh, also, uh, Mitchell Rose. Uh, I've heard some funny stories about matchmaker Ron Katz getting screamed at by Bob Arum for making <laughs> that fight it. and getting Butterbean knocked off. Uh, although, you know, Rose was like one and seven at the time. You can't really blame Katz too much. Um, hopefully, Iran Barkley is indeed recovering as he says he is. Lomachenko Nakatani, hard to get too excited, but it's solid for a comeback fight, certainly. Uh, and Inoihiga, most serious exhibition fight since Drago Creed. <laughs> You don't get that reference, Kieran. You haven't seen all the Rockies. Right, right, indeed. But, um, yay? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. It was, I mean, it was... It right, was, was it an exhibition that he killed him? Yes, yes, indeed. Oh, so this, this ended better than that. This, this, was still pretty, this was still pretty badass and, and not terribly prudent. But, uh, yeah, this, this, this was a badass exhibition with a happier ending than Drago Creed. <laughs> indeed. All right. Okay, time for the Tweet of the Week. And it comes from the UK, where there's been a lot of controversy of late over a fellow called Daniel Kinahan, whose Wikipedia entry begins... Daniel Kinahan is an Irish reputed gang boss and boxing promoter, which, you know, you might think, eh, seems about right. 
uh, for boxing. But uh, for some time now, there's been some talk that there's a lot more there. And indeed, as the Wikipedia entry goes on to note, quote, he has been named by the High Court of Ireland as a senior figure in organized crime on a global scale. And he was the subject of a highly critical report on the BBC news magazine Panorama uh, last week. Uh, as allegations have swirled around Kinahan, most of those who've been involved in some capacity with him have started to distance themselves from him a bit, or at least keep quiet about their involvement. At which point, step forward, Amir Khan. <laughs> I've known Daniel for some time, he tweeted. I have huge respect for what he's doing for boxing. We need people like Dan to keep the sport alive. One of the nicest guys I've met. I refer to you again, the comment about him being a reputed gang boss and named by the High Court of Ireland as being involved in organized crime on a global scale. One of the nicest guys I've met, says Amir. Now, one might say that this is a laudable case of sticking up for somebody and not abandoning him, but given the scale of the accusations being directed at Kinahan, it understandably generated a mocking reaction. This is Tweet of the Week not just because of the tweet, but because of some of the golden responses. <laughs> um, this was my favorite. Appreciate this, Amir. As promised, we will drop your kids and pets safely to your nearest gas station, said one, which I thought was hilarious. Um, plenty of others dropped the names of notorious killers from history and just substituted their names for Kinahans. Guys like Ted Bundy, Joseph Mengele, Radovan Karadich. Um, some of the more biting ones uh, involved Fred West, who is one of Britain's most notorious serial killers. And he buried all his victims in his backyard and paved over them. So the Twitter wag said something like, I've known Fred for some time. I have huge respect for what he's doing for bricklaying. We need people <laughs> like Fred to keep the building trade alive. One of the nicest guys I've met. There were plenty more in that vein. Uh, I, I don't pretend to know anything more really uh, about the situation, but I got to say, I love him here. I really do. I love him as a person. I think he deserves a lot more appreciation as a fighter, but he has always had the tendency to not do himself any favors for some of the things he said. Yeah. This is on brand for Amir, I gotta say. Yeah, you know, Breadman was talking about one of his fighters having gone off social yeah. media. Uh, go off social media for a little while, Amir. See see how it goes for you. It might, might be might be the, the right moves. Um, I did not see that tweet. Uh, the replies sound pretty hilarious, and I kind of want to scroll through all of them after we're done recording the show. Um, There's 500 of them. All right, maybe not all of them, but some of the top ones anyway. Um, the the Kinahan thing, I've been seeing his name coming up for however many months now, and I've just not been willing to bring myself to wade in and really like, get all get all educated on what this guy's about and what everybody's talking about. I know the broad strokes of the story. Sometimes in some of my DM threads with other boxing media folks, uh, the, a lot of them talk about Kinahan, and I just kind of... I don't know. I, it's it's one of those stories that uh, if something comes along that I need to cover it and need to know about it for some reason, I will. And it does seem, you know, legitimately important if, if, if a, a dude this bad is a, a power player of some sort in boxing. But to this point, I have resisted all temptation to find out what the hell his story is and what his involvement in boxing is all about. And uh, you involving him in the tweet of the week shall not change that. Yeah, I'm the same as you, actually. And I, and I wonder to myself, I'm like, well, am I just like abrogating some kind of responsibility here by not getting into it? And I guess if I were a beat writer um, still, it, it would be a different matter. Right. But I'm kind of the same as you in that, like, OK, I want to be aware of the situation and, and, and some of the allegations. But 
I don't know that the world is better served by me leaping in and having an opinion on it but at this point, but uh, it, it does seem like it's an interesting situation that is continuing to evolve over there. Yeah, and, and if he is all that his uh, Wikipedia entry says he is, uh, the less that his name is coming out of our mouths, probably the well, better, that's better for us and our safety and our my children and gas safety. stations exactly. and things exactly. like that. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, we will close with what is rapidly becoming the most popular segment of the podcast. Uh, it is time to assign the next top five list challenge. Uh, but first, uh, let's look. Let's look back at the response to last week's list. Uh, two weeks ago, Eric tasked me with coming up with five classic fights that were unheralded or underhyped going in. And last week I came up with that list. And you guys out there in podcast land sent us a few suggestions you felt we might have missed. Uh, Killpat at Kill787, K-I-L-787, uh, offered Vincent Pedaway, Simon Brown, and the rematch between Tim Littles and Frankie Lyles. Lyles Littles was crazy. Um, I think it was actually thought that it might be a bit dull going in because they knew each other very, very well. And I think they fought to a 12-round decision the first time they'd met. Uh, the rematch only lasted three rounds. The first of those was only two minutes long because of a timekeeper error. Littles was down at the end of round one, again at the end of round two. Uh, he was cut in the second. He had a point taken away. Then he came roaring out of the gate at the start of the third to put Lyles halfway through the ropes, only to be stopped just before the end of three by a vicious right hand. So I think that's a very good call. Um, Petway Brown is, of course, most remembered for the fact that Simon Brown continued to throw punches while he was unconscious on the canvas. Uh, but it was a good fight before for that. Uh, Alex Crichton at Alex Crichton asked how about Holyfield Foreman? Although not a classic, it was pretty damn good. And didn't most believe Foreman to be a joke going in? Um, I can't quite remember. Uh, I do think it was a pretty good fight. I do think that Foreman somewhat overperformed. Yeah. Uh, I don't quite remember, but I think it was a pretty good fight. Um, Christy and Willie K at Christy K numeral five say Etienne versus Clay Bay and Mayweather versus Maidana one was a good scrap. I feel like I'm in a minority when it comes to Mayweather Maidana generally in that I was expecting it to be pretty good because we knew what Maidana could do. He got the fight because he'd just beaten up Adrian Bronner after all, and, and we'd seen what he'd done to Victor Ortiz a couple of years before that. Um, but I also thought, even though the first few rounds were entertaining, I thought Floyd won that fight, and I didn't think it was close in the end, but there you go. I think I might be in a minority there. Uh, Etienne Clay Bay's good. I'd actually forgotten about that one. I'd forgotten about Lawrence Clay Bay. I forgot he ever existed, <laughs> yeah. to be honest with you. Um, but that was a really good fight. Uh, two really good heavyweight contenders just Throw in leather for, for 10 rounds there. Uh, you know that's a good fight when at the end, the referee, who in this case was Jay Nady, goes up to the two guys as they embrace, pats them on the back and goes, great fight, great fight, fight of the fucking year. It wasn't, but it was <laughs> right. really good. Yeah. Uh, and David Kushin, uh, a regular correspondent, offers Marco Hook, Christoph Glavatsky, uh, which I agree is a very good suggestion. Glavatsky was down in all kinds of trouble in the sixth, came storming back to have a great rest of that round, uh, ultimately dropped and stopped Hook in the 11th. In a fight I don't think there were too many expectations going into. Any thoughts on any of those? So no bad suggestions among this bunch, although also nothing close to making me say, oh, you really missed one, Kieran. You should have included that. Uh, a bunch of these are very good fights that were better than expected or, or didn't have much buzz. I'm not sure any of them are quite classics. Uh, like if, if the list was extended to a top 15 or 20, you start getting fights like Pedway Brown or Etienne Claybay on there, but they don't warrant consideration for the top five, in my view. The two I find interesting to discuss are Holyfield Foreman and Mayweather Maidana. Um, I have some slightly different views on those. I, I don't think Holyfield Foreman 
quite works because, yes, a lot of people figured it would be a mismatch, and it was a better fight than almost anyone expected, but it was such a huge event. The fight got mm. so much hype. Uh, you know, it, it fits the description of people didn't see the type of fight that unfolded coming, but it doesn't fit the, you know, under hype or under the right. radar element. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, Holyfield Tyson one was named fight of the year by some people for 1996, right. but you wouldn't say nobody saw that coming as a great fight. Exactly. It was a shocking result to most people, but it was just a little too mainstream to me to qualify for the list, at least in right, terms right. of the way I imagined the list uh you know hey douglas tyson was a better fight than holyfield foreman probably uh it's just you know i don't know a slightly different type Got of you. fight to me than what i had in mind with this although we're learning that by leaving some room for interpretation we get some yeah. variation in thought here which is which is cool um for mayweather maidana uh to me that one actually does fit fairly well in that it was viewed by most me included going in as ho-hum, uh, another easy one for Floyd on this Showtime deal, just like his fight with Robert Guerrero. And then I scored it pretty close. I did think Floyd won, but uh, I thought it was a close fight, and I thought, at least by Mayweather excitement standards, it was close to a classic. Um, so I had low expectations for it, and it far exceeded them, although still not quite a classic, um, and, and I hear where you're coming from on that. I have to say, I liked your list, Kieran, better than anything anyone else has sent in. Yeah, damn right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Of course, I'm paid to come up with this stuff, and they're not, so there That's you go. That's true. Um, all right. It is time now for this week's challenge. Uh, last week marked the 31st anniversary of Buster Douglas's 10th round knockout of Mike Tyson in Tokyo. Um, and that's deeply depressing, by the way. Not that Buster <laughs> Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson in Tokyo, but that he did it 31 years ago. Um, in what remains, I think, rightly regarded as the greatest upset certainly in recent boxing history and it was a reminder that upsets can happen to almost anyone and almost anywhere we're obviously very focused on what happens in the usa but we just talked about another huge upset over in london in the form of laura warrington so my challenge for you is what are the biggest upsets to take place outside of the United States. Um, on one level, this is one of the easiest challenges I think we'll set each other. And I did actually think about placing parameters on it to make it more challenging by saying like, for example, what are the biggest upsets on foreign soil between Douglas Tyson and Lara Warrington? But then I thought I was gonna start getting very arbitrary and capricious to try to make it more challenging. Like what are the biggest upsets outside of the United States between February 1990 <laughs> and involving people called Larry, right? right. It was just going to get silly. So I thought, now screw it. Because I don't think the point of these is to try to like catch each other out. It's to come up with interesting fights and mm -hmm. that people can talk about. And I think the interesting part of this week is going to be that we're going to get a lot of responses from our international listeners, especially who are going to remind us of all kinds of fights that we've forgotten about. Um, I my guess is you've probably come up with three or four while I've been talking. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> right. uh, I think that's the, the fun with this one, I think, is going to be coming up with past those four or five and getting the input from listeners. So that's your thing. What are the biggest upsets to have taken place outside of these here at United States? So, it, so it, and it is of all time. There is no time yeah, restriction. Yeah, I thought about putting a time limit on it, and I thought, nah, screw it. Okay. Like, I mean, that takes, there are, I could think of two extremely obvious ones by not including the time limit. Um, but like I said, not the hardest one you'll have. Okay. But, and anyway. so then, and just one more uh, clarification question. Douglas Tyson is eligible or oh, are... excuse me. You know what? There is the one thing okay. I did mean to say because I brought it up. Right. 
Okay. Let's not include And that. because it's the number one for anyone with a brain by such a yeah. large margin, why bother? So, okay, yeah. other than Douglas Tyson. Thank you for asking that clarification. Okay, got it. Next. That was that was the only sort of parameter, and it doesn't have to involve people called Larry. I did think about that, <laughs> and it doesn't have to be flights that were only in January or February or, you know, so. Right. So, yeah, nothing too arbitrary or capricious about it. Not, right. not the most challenging week you'll have, I think. Well, we'll see. But right. an interesting one, I think. Yeah, no, I like this. Should be fun. All right. That will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Thanks again to Breadman Edwards for joining us. Uh, as a reminder, Showbox, the new generation, airs this Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. And Showtime Championship Boxing will follow on Saturday, 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific. We will be back next week to look back on those fights and to look ahead to the following weekend's bouts, highlighted by Canelo Alvarez taking on Abney Gildering. Until then, thank you for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.